Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you today. So this week I was thinking about our youngest, who's four, and Anna Kate uh, just loves riding on Sandy at Meyer. Do you remember Sandy at Meyer, where you can get a ride for a penny? Uh, this is her shortly after we moved here. Uh, the end all be all trips to the grocery store, usually with dad to ride on Sandy. Now, uh, if you've been to Meyer in town, you know that uh, Sandy has taken a long hiatus uh, through the pandemic and is recently back. Now, let me tell you, my daughter, Anna Kate, has been saving her pennies, okay? Uh, she is ready to go. In fact, that girl loves any coin. It's called a penny. And she she will find them and she will steal them from anyone that she can uh, so that she can collect her pennies for Sandy. Now, uh, the truth is, if you've been around little kids, it's really quite comical, right, to be around them and realize how they have no idea the value of money, right? Uh, so for our daughter, coins are everything. Forget the bills. Coins, that's where the value is. So Dan and I were talking about this and, and thought, let's just give a little example kind of scenario. Take a look. How about I trade you those two small bills for all of that? Yeah. Okay, give me the money and you can have all that. <laughs> so there it is, right? Coins are everything. Forget the bills. That is not where the fun, not where the value is. So we look at uh, our daughter and think, wow, what a trade to make in a moment like that. You all want to make that trade with her, right? I know. Don't worry. We don't give her the bills. So, you know, uh, there's, there's not to happen very often. Uh, well, uh, today we're going to continue in our series called Campfire Stories, uh, and we're rediscovering some Old Testament classics together. And today we're going to turn to a story in the Old Testament of two brothers who make an absurd trade. Just as our daughter has trouble understanding the value and the worth of what's in her hand, uh, we find a couple of brothers that get that all mixed up. Their names are Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob is the most famous brother. Uh, in fact, when we turn to the Old Testament and when the Old Testament is introducing us to who God is and his character, God is often uh, identified as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So today we're going to talk about Jacob. He's one of the famous forefathers of faith. In fact, last week, we were looking at a story of Jacob's sons, his 12 sons, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there are many stories of Jacob in the book of Genesis because he was quite a character. We could spend the whole summer just studying Jacob together. But I'd like for us to take a look today at how his story begins. Now, I'm going to read today from the message. So uh, as I read, I want to invite you to just sit back, listen, you know, imagine we're around a campfire, and let's listen to the story of Jacob and Esau. This is from Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 19. 
This is the family tree of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean of Padam Aram. He was the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. God answered his prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. But the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? She went to God to find out what was going on. And God told her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, sure enough, there were twins in her womb. The first, the first came out reddish, as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. And so they named him Esau, Harry. <laughs> his brother followed, his fist clutched tight to Esau's heel, and they named him Jacob, heel. <laughs> Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Uh-huh. The boys grew up. Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. Jacob was a quiet man, preferring life indoors among the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he loved his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day, Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau came in from the field, starved. Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew. I'm starved. That's how he came to be called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, make me a trade. My stew for your rights as the firstborn. Esau said, I'm starving. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? And Jacob said, first swear to me. And he did. On oath, Esau traded away his rights as the firstborn. Jacob gave him bread and a stew of lentils. He ate and drank, got up and left. And that's how Esau shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. So as we read the story of these two brothers, we discover there is tension from the start. Uh, that their mother knew that something was going on with the two of them. Uh, we know most brothers wrestle. Goodness, I know that with my three boys. Uh, most brothers wrestle. And the story of these brothers is that they were wrestling even in utero. And the wrestling continues through their lives and it creates quite a mess. Now, as we get to know this family in the book of Genesis, it's clear this is a family full of flaws. They are human through and through. And God engages this family for his divine purposes. And, you know, I think that's good news for us today because I know for all of us, we're not flawless people. We all come from families that have some mess to them. And now what a good reminder that God doesn't turn away, but he moves towards us and through the mess to work for good. 
So Genesis chapter 25 tells of this pivotal moment in the lives of these brothers when everything changes. Esau is the oldest. You know, I wondered, is older and younger, is that an important distinction with twins? I did a little research, so I asked Pastor Ben, did you know he's a twin? I asked Pastor Ben, and I found out he's younger, right? Mm -hmm. He's the little brother. And he assured me it does matter, actually, uh, when you have a twin, especially for teasing rights, that they are fully aware of who's the older and who is the younger. Esau was a rugged outdoorsman. So he's been out hunting, and he is famished. I kind of imagine Esau being the kind of guy like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, right? Uh, he is this rugged outdoorsman coming home. He's famished. I kind of imagine him as the entitled big brother, really proud of the latest kill that he is dragging home. And I imagine that while Esau is still quite a ways from home, he starts smelling the food because Jacob is cooking. And oh my goodness, what a cook he is. Because even as a kid, Jacob loved to be right next to his mom, stirring that pot. He loved to cook and he had a knack for just the right ingredients and just the right spices. Everyone loves Jacob's cooking. And as Esau treks home, he can smell Jacob's stew on the wind. His mouth is watering and his stomach is cramping with hunger pains. Because the truth is, Esau has pushed it that day a little too long, a little too far on this hunting trip. And so he's exhausted. He is famished. He is hangry. <laughs> He's desperate for some food, and Jake's stew is the perfect remedy. So hangry, Esau stumbles towards the pot of stew. Jake, give me a bowl of stew. And Jacob reads the situation, and he seizes the opportunity in front of him. Here's big, strong Esau, desperate. And that almost never happens. So Jacob's chest swells with the intoxication of power now at his disposal in the moment. He has something that his brother wants. And he wonders, I wonder what it's worth to Esau. How badly does he really want this stew? And so he's, his mind begins to race to come up with some kind of trade that he can make. Now, as everyone who barters knows, you start high, really high, right? So then you have room to negotiate down. So Jake blurts out the biggest bargaining ship that he can possibly think of. He says, trade me your birthright. Esau's birthright. That's the privilege enjoyed by the firstborn male in the family. It's the double portion of the estate and the inheritance, and it's the blessing of the father. It's the one thing that every little brother wants and can't have. Jacob and Esau, 
look at one another as the suggestion of this absurd trade hangs in the air between them. And Esau's drive for immediate gratification overpowers his common sense. And in one impulsive instant, he trades momentary satisfaction for his future. Jacob cannot believe his ears. And so he quickly rushes to make it official before Esau realizes what he's just done, before he changes his mind. So he tells Esau, you have to swear an oath before you can pick up the spoon. And it's done. We look at this moment in the Old Testament, and I think our jaws drop a bit. We can scarcely believe the absurdity of it all. These brothers, who both of them act reprehensibly in a moment, there's no excuse for this, for Jacob's shrewdness or for Esau's carelessness. How can a moment like that happen? <laughs> oh, but it happens all the time. Squandering something of great value for instant gratification. We can all tell stories in our lives or in lives of people that we know of absurd trades that have been made. Of having plans and dreams in life to be traded for a night of indulgence that takes everything off course. Or having financial security and trading it for the thrill of a high-stakes bet in a moment. Or having a committed relationship with a spouse or a partner. And trading it for the lure of illicit images on a screen. Or the trust of a friend who confided a secret. Traded for an opportunity to share a juicy piece of gossip. See, the truth is, being human means being vulnerable to impulse decisions that can change everything in a moment. Moments when our drive for instant gratification cause us to confuse the value of what we have and the trade that we're making. And the truth is, I think every one of us in the room, we have some regret of trades that we have made at one time or another. But my friends, today is not about bringing up shame in our lives to think about things that we are powerless to go back and change. Rather, the, the truth is, my hope is for us as we study this story today, that it actually gives us some hope. <laughs> and it reminds us that even in moments of brokenness and regret, Nothing is wasted, that God is redeeming and restoring and working for good. And God works through even this crazy moment in the scripture for his divine purposes. Because this is who God is. And there is never a situation that is beyond hope. So my friend, if you've made a bad trade somewhere along the way, I want to remind you today that's not the end of the story with our God. But today, rather than looking backwards at our lives, I'd like for us to think about where we are today and what's going on in our lives right now and what might happen tomorrow. 
Because the truth is, this kind of moment to make a trade will happen over and over again in our lives. And we have to think about how we will respond. And what difference does it make for us as Jesus followers in these kinds of moments? So here's the question for today. What are you trading for a bowl of stew? What are you trading for a bowl of stew? Now, as you think about that question, I want you to pay attention to spaces in your life where you feel depleted, places where you feel vulnerable, places where you have lack. Now, common sense tells us that we need to be aware of that dynamic. Have you ever heard the advice, don't go to the grocery store hungry? Have you ever heard that? You're laughing. Have you ever gone to the grocery store hungry? I have. And you know everything looks so good. And you end up coming home with three boxes of Count Chocolate cereal. And you don't even like that, right? But this is what happens when you go to the grocery store hungry. See, the truth is we need to be aware of spaces in our lives where we feel depleted. Where we feel like we are lacking something because these are the very places in our lives where we are vulnerable to making an absurd trade so i wonder where are you hungry these days maybe there's a particular need in your life that's right at the forefront for you maybe it's a job maybe it's a financial need or an unfulfilled dream maybe you feel bored in an area of your life Maybe there's an area of your life where you're just weary. You're just tired of it. You are worn out with the daily grind or you're worn out with conflict or division that you're trying to navigate. Maybe you're frustrated in a relationship in your life and you feel like you're just at a dead end there. Or maybe you have a desire for comfort or security that, that is really at the forefront for you these days. See, we all have areas of our lives where we feel hungry, where we feel like things are lacking. And it's in these places in our lives where we are most susceptible to talking ourselves into things. And we can find ourselves justifying actions and behaviors. We say, ah, oh, it's an okay trade. Oh, that bowl of stew, that's everything in this moment. And before we know it, we've traded away the things that really matter to us. We've traded relationships or integrity or financial security or our reputation for a momentary indulgence that we think we need. You know, here's the thing we have to remember as we study this story today. This moment, which changed the trajectory of the lives of Jacob and Esau, it was just lunch. You ever think about that? It was just lunch. It doesn't get more ordinary, more daily than a moment like that. And that's such a reminder for us that these kinds of high stakes moments, they happen right in the middle of the ordinary everyday grind. Because the opportunity for courage happens in the daily decisions 
Not when you're up on a stage and it feels like a dramatic moment and the music is playing in the background. No, 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 no. It's the daily decisions. That's the opportunity for courage. We think about this story. It was just lunch. But friends, you'll have all kinds of lunch moments in your life too. Because ordinary moments have the potential to change the trajectory of your life. Don't miss that. Just ordinary moments, they have the power to change the trajectory of your life. You know, as we study the scripture together, we remember that this story repeats sort of in a different kind of way. There was another who faced a moment like this, a moment of being totally famished and desperately hungry and tempted with some comfort food. The beginning of each of the, the four Gospels, it tells us that Jesus, after he was baptized, was led into the wilderness for a time of testing. And the tempter said to him, take this rock and turn it into bread. Well, there's nothing like the comfort of carbs when your stomach is cramped with hunger. And what harm would there be in bread? Bread is a good thing. You see, we look at that moment in the life of Jesus, and we know that Jesus had just been baptized. He knew who he was, and he, know, he knew whose he was. He knew that he had a mission, and the mission of Jesus was not comfort. Jesus was not about to trade his identity and his mission for something so small. Jesus was tempted by some comfort food, but comfort is not the mission. The mission is the kingdom, and the kingdom is uncomfortable. <laughs> you see, the imagination of Jesus and his calling, his imagination had been set ablaze for far more than bread. In fact, the scripture tells us in Luke that just after that testing in the wilderness, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And it was then that he went to Nazareth and to the synagogue and he took the scroll and he found where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the the Lord's favor. Friends, here's what we can't miss. Jesus reframed that moment of hunger in his life. And he reframed that moment in light of his identity and in light of his mission. Jesus did not trade his birthright for a loaf of bread. Friends, I hope that gives us such hope today. Because all the time, we have these moments in our lives when we can make a trade. And the temptation often seems like more than we can bear. But there is hope. There is help. We can pause in those very moments and remember. And we can consider our identity and our mission 
We can stop in those moments when, when an absurd trade hangs in the air. And we can remember who we are as children of God. And knowing that God has a purpose for our lives. And if we'll pause for just a moment before we make a trade to remember, it helps us see that bowl of stew for what it is. We begin to see the value of what is in our hands. So that we won't trade something of great worth for a pile of pennies. <laughs> because that momentary gratification is nothing compared to our birthright as children of God. So, my friends, what do we do when we have those moments of decision? When we can feel it, when we know that we are hangry emotionally, when we feel the desperation, when we know we are in a vulnerable place, what do we do? Well, friends, here's the simplest practice in the moment, simply this, pause and pray. Pause and pray. Think about how many times in our lives that things have gone awry because we made a snap decision. Pause and pray. When we pause, when we don't rush to speak, when we don't rush to act, when we slow down, it gives us space for conversation with God, to pray, to remember our identity as children of God. And my friend, when you pause and pray, when you, when you take that moment, you know what it does? We lift our eyes off of our circumstance and to our provider. And we stop staring at the bowl of stew. Sometimes you just have to stop staring at the bowl of stew and lift your eyes to Jesus. And it really does change everything in the moment. The presence of Jesus has the power to transform a moment of vulnerability. The presence of Jesus has the power to transform a moment of vulnerability. Pause and pray. And the other thing I encourage you to do is to have a conversation with a friend. Don't be alone. Do you ever look back at your life and say, boy, I would have made a different decision if I would have just talked with someone about this. So don't be alone. When you feel that vulnerability in your life, pick up the phone or send a text or make a coffee date with a friend. Don't be alone. God never designed us to follow him in isolation. We need each other on the journey. Friends, here's the good news of the story today. The good news is that you can trust God to help you. <laughs> Yes, you will face many moments when there will be opportunities for an absurd trade right in front of you. But the good news is there is hope and there is help. Just like we all have stories to tell in the room of times that we made a bad trade. You know what? There's also a ton of victory stories in this room. I know that to be true. As we follow Jesus together, there are stories after story of moments when God gave us the victory. Over moments when we said, I don't have to go there. I don't have to do that. I am not going to make that trade. 
Friend, be encouraged today and remember those moments of victory and remember that this great God of ours is on standby to help us. He's ready. He's at the ready to strengthen you and to help you in whatever you face. Second, Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power love, and self-control. Friends, that is our promise today. Will you stand and pray with me? Oh, our gracious God, we're so grateful for the way that you love us. Lord, we pause before you today and we're so grateful for the way that you promise to give us all that we need moment by moment. And so we just lean into that promise today, Lord. And we're trusting, God, that you will help us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, those in the room, those who are watching online. I pray, God, that you would give us courage to look at these moments in our lives when a trade is in front of us. God, would you give us courage in those moments? Would you help us to pause and to pray? Would you help us to invite others to speak into our lives? God, we know and we trust in your power. <laughs> Lord, we're so grateful that, that you empower us to live above temptation. Thank you, God, for that. And Lord, we need your help. You know the places where we are vulnerable. You know the places where we uh, are feeling lack. And so I pray today, God, for each of us, that you would be at the center of those spaces in our lives, that we would first look to you and your provision and trust your hand. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for the way that you love us. Thank you for not being finished with us yet. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray, and together we say, Amen.